Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This episode is about creating diversity on our boards. We think in certain patterns, we relate to certain people, we have certain people that we've known and we wanna invite those people that we know onto our boards. We're gonna give you some ideas of how to rethink some of those patterns so we just don't have the same old people. We get burned out because we ask the same people to do more. Well, I'm looking to surround myself with people that have different opinions, different skills, different ages, different backgrounds than, than me. And, you know, it's a fun journey. So today we have two guests. Um, and I'm going to let these guests introduce themselves. And they are they're very experienced with boards and with diversity and talking about inclusiveness and having really good concrete systems, content, and experience to share with you. And they've got a whole lot more credentials than I do. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm going to let ladies go first. Dr. Theon Gordon, would you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and what your passion is for building diversity on boards? Okay. Hi there, Hugh. I hope you can hear me. I'm, I'm working with the little technical challenges here. So I'm Dr. Theon, and I'm here in Los Angeles, California. I've worked with the nonprofit or what I call the social profit world for years. And um, uh, my experience has been with organizations such as a place called Home Youth Center, uh, Coach Art and uh, Foundation for Second Chances, Project Musette, all sorts of nonprofits or social profits. I like for people to tell what they do versus what they don't do. And uh, my experience right now, I'm working with uh, nonprofits or social profits, as I continue to say, uh, doing stories and storytelling. We know that storytelling is one of the most important things with any social profit organization. And I help corporations, individuals, and social profits connect their passion, their uh, purpose with profit. And as I bring people to understand that their story has all those ingredients, uh, I love including diversity within it. All of our stories are very different. All of our stories are unique. And that's what diversity is really about. It, it's more about uh, finding those things that make us a little different and bringing them together so that we can have inclusion on a board. And I'd love to discuss that a little bit more when the panel gets started. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's, that's so brilliant. We define ourselves by what we're not. <laughs> Why don't we define ourselves by what we are? Let me go to our, our other panelists. Uh, Dr. William Lewis, give us a little history about you and why you're passionate about this topic. Absolutely. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. William Lewis, and let me tell you, I am so excited to be here with you today. I, For the last 15 years or so, I have been in higher education, working in diversity, and most recently, I was the chief diversity officer for Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. In addition to working with higher education, I work with corporate America around diversity and inclusion issues. I consider myself a diversity thought partner. 
One of the things that I love about the whole notion of diversity and inclusion is that it really connects into the sense of humanity. Uh, diversity for me is about how I engage with the other person. One, how I understand myself and how I show up in the world, and then how uh, I'm engaging with the other. And so diversity for me and really inclusion is really about that whole notion of engaging with humanity. That's what I love. So when, when I'm working with organizations, working with boards, I'm really helping them to engage uh, with the other. And so, so I'm glad to be here with you today and hope to, to have some rich dialogue. And also on our call is, is my co-host, Russell Dennis, who's been so faithful to this. And he, he showed up so many times I made him, I made him co-host. <laughs> and he's, he keeps me straight and challenges me and stretches me in really good ways. So Russell, um, what is your passion for diversity? You've got a really strong history of, of working with different organizations. So I'm going to hopefully let you double as a co-host and a panelist, if you're willing. Well, yeah, you know, that's what they say. When you hang around someplace long enough, they find something for you to do. And so that's sort of what happened to me. Uh, welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. And uh, so, yeah, I've been I've been a part of, uh, I have never worked in a workplace that wasn't diverse. Uh, my whole career uh, started out at Market Research Services when I was young. Uh, went into the Air Force, of course, you got diversity there. Uh, went to work for a Native American tribe and, and uh, worked for Internal Revenue Service. Everything I've done has been diverse. And so people from different backgrounds really add to everything that you're doing because you get things from different perspectives and it, it gives you insights on how to serve different people. And here in Denver, Colorado, where I'm at, the Denver Foundation actually did an inclusiveness project and they were for uh, several years, three years, uh, conducting training on how to diversify your workforce and the benefits of doing that. So it's something that's on everybody's radar and there are a lot of statistics out there uh, that are a little bit disturbing about uh, um, some lack of diversity in the boardroom. And I think you miss out on the best of, of humanity and uh, you don't have a complete picture of the people that you're serving when you don't have a, board, a diverse uh, uh, workforce. Give, give us a couple of quick examples about what some of those statistics. Do you have them at your fingertip? I do. I was just looking at that. And uh, there are five, you know, in an article, I pulled up five questions you can ask about uh, board diversity, philanthropy. And so here's, uh, here's one statistic. Uh, the level of, of board diversity uh, has largely remained unchanged since 1994. So in 2017, 90% of chief executives and 84% of board members report as Caucasian. 27% uh, of boards identify as all white, uh, and that compares to 25% in 2015. So we've had an increase uh, of the number that reported in just in two years. Uh, and these, these come from board source. They, uh, board source uh, actually put these statistics out. 
now uh, out of your chief executives uh, who consider board, board diversity as important for their work, 77 to 89% uh, report that it's important first, understanding the external context from a broader perspective, developing creative new solutions to problems, understanding the organization's client population, and enhancing your organization's public standing, in addition to, to uh, planning effectively. 77 to 89% of the chief executives said all of those things were important. Wow. So let me, let me go to, to Will and Eon. Um, we have two words that we're throwing around. One is diversity and one is inclusion. So speak to the meaning of those two words, either one of you. Yeah, I, I will, I will uh, uh, try to speak to that. So when I think about diversity, diversity is getting the people in the room, getting diverse folks in the space. And, and one of the, the challenges I think that people fall into is that they believe once you get diverse people into a space, you automatically have inclusion. That's not the case. Inclusion is the intentional and ongoing engagement of that diversity. And so inclusion takes, it takes a little bit more work to be inclusive than it does to, to, uh, be, to have diversity, if you will. So they're not the same at all. Not, not at all, not at all, not from my vantage point. Stan, your mic's not on. You, you switched to your iPad, it's now muted. We, uh, we had her audio just a second ago. So while she's, she's playing with that, well, let's just explore that a little bit. Um, is, sure. is, is there um, a sequence here? Do you start thinking diversity and then think inclusion? Or is, is, how do those two relate to each other a little bit more? Well, if you, if you kind of look at the history of the words, there's always been an evolution of the words. And diversity uh, has, has been on the forefront uh, in this evolution. So I think about it on this continuum. So they're, they're interrelated, uh, but diversity uh, historically has been the word that has, has uh, or the notion that has been in the forefront. And then inclusion now is coming to uh, the beginning of that space. And so I think that you cannot have one without the other. Uh, however, uh, diversity, a lot of people, when they hear diversity, they tend to think race and gender and other marginalized groups. And we need to make the term diversity more inclusive, if you will. And that's where we get into the space with inclusion is where we begin to create the notion of how do we have inclusive mindedness? How do we begin to make sure that all of our colleagues are part of this uh, democracy, if we will, and what we're trying to create? A number of years ago, I worked with a group in Germany that did what would amount to the Olympics for choirs. It was called the World Choir Games. And when they produce an event, there's like 400 different choirs from 100 different countries. And so that is what I see as diversity. We're not looking at a black and white dynamic. We're looking at um, the African continent, the South American continent, Israel. Uh, you know, we, we have choirs from, from China. We have choirs from the different countries in Europe, which are different. Even the different countries in Africa 
have very distinctive styles. So that really speaks to uh, diversity. And because they're all in the same program and they're competing against each other, there's an amazing inclusiveness that came to that as people are working around the same, the common vision to be inclusive. So I want to see if we got some sound from Dr. Theon yet. Yeah, I think my sound should be back now. <laughs> yeah. Good. Can you hear me? You're okay. Good. So when my sound is on, I can't necessarily hear you, but I'm going to work through that. Um, I love the discussion about diversity in, in um, comparison to inclusion. And uh, as you mentioned, Hugh, you would have these different uh, people with the choirs different from different cultures, from different backgrounds, and they're all included in your choir. Now, they may all be there in the choir, but as William mentioned, the inclusion part is about really embracing not just that they are there, but their cultures, their differences, all the things that make them unique, and actually bringing that to the table too. And when we speak with social prophets uh, about how that looks in a board perspective, actually bringing a diverse set of people to the table, but then communicating as if it's the same people sitting at the table is not inclusion. You have to be able to bring the differences in. And, and part of that diversity, as, as you might say, you might have a very diverse board that is, uh, uh, that is mainly all white male because they may all have a marketing difference or a finance difference, or they may all be from different uh, backgrounds in terms of their experiences. So that actually could be a diverse board. But if they only talked finance during a board meeting and the, the inclusion should be, well, we wanted a diversity in different types of perspectives for you know, marketing, for networking, for storytelling, if they only continue to talk finance, then they weren't being inclusive with that board. The same thing with bringing in different cultures and ethnicities and people and genders. If you're only going to continue operating as you currently operate, then it's not inclusive. You, you've added a lot of people to the pot, but you haven't really changed your recipe. And you gotta change your recipe a little bit when you're adding new ingredients. Absolutely. When I lived in St. Pete, Florida, we moved into a neighborhood that was 50-50, um, black and white. And my kids went to the local school. And, you know, they, that was when we had busing and stuff. And, and when the kids got inside the school, the, the students were segmented by race, by their own choice. So there was, there was no effort to, to create this, this, um, this, what you're talking about. How do we, how do we learn to talk to people? how we learn to, to develop relationships. I think underneath what you're talking about, Theon, is it's relationships. And my kids had, had friends of all races. You know, they, they just they didn't see color because we were, we were proactive in, in helping them build relationships with the kids in their own neighborhood. And Theon, you and I have talked about this topic. I think another barrier for us is the word equality. And when you think about this Olympics of choirs, you've got 30 categories of music and you got choirs from 100 cultures, and they're competing, but there's certain standards. There's no way in hell that they're equal. There's no way that we strive for equality. Actually, if you tried to, to, to make it equal, it would be dumbing down. So when, when, when women say to me, we want equality with men in the workforce, and I say, wait a minute, you, you, gotta, you wanna go into a place where 
old white guys have created a low standard and you want to go down to that standard when you really bring a higher level of competency. And we could say that about people from other cultures as well as genders. We could say that about millennials as opposed to boomers. So I think there's a better word, equity, than equality in, in that sense of it. So you remember that conversation, Dan, and, and, and how does that misperception of, oh, we all want to be the same, impact this inclusiveness? Yeah, I kind of remember the conversation, and I think equity is the word, it, it, because it's not about equality. We're, and, and the same with this whole idea of not seeing color. We all see color, we, unless you're colorblind and you can't see. So we all see it. We have to be able to embrace it and say, what is it that makes us unique that we want to pull from um, and, and still have equity? We want, to sit, we want a seat at the table. There's an organization, the African American Board Leadership Institute in Los Angeles. And this organization trains African Americans to sit on boards. Now, why is there a need to train African-Americans to sit on boards? Well, we've heard the stats already. We're, there's not a lot of African-Americans on boards. So when going to the board, in order to be included, this organization says, let's show you what happens in a boardroom so that you actually can go in and be a part of this boardroom and merge yourself into it to start making yourself feel included because most boards are not going to say, let's have this discussion about inclusion and, and bring everyone in and make sure that we're operating so that we can relate to each other. So in this organization, uh, there, there's um, conversation on uh, microaggression and, and different areas where African-Americans would be impacted and might feel put off and wanna leave a board versus sticking it out and saying, hey, let's address the elephant in the room here. We're not being inclusive because we're not really recognizing that we really are different and that, that you're not colorblind. You actually can see who I am, but you can't see deeply who I am with my culture, with my ethnicity, with the way I think from a different perspective, not just because I'm black, but because I have different experiences, because I've been I've walked a different path. And part of that is in who I am, but part of that is just because my life has gone a different path than you. And I'd like to share that with you and learn what your path has been like. So I think it's the equity that we want the seat at the table. The seat at the table is the equity part. Um, being able to get inclusiveness is the equity part. And that's the part we're striving for. It's not just about trying to be equal. I mean, honestly, I don't want to, in our household growing up, uh, my mom used to make the boys take out the trash and the girls wash the dishes. I want to keep washing the dishes. I don't want to take out the trash. So I don't want to be equal in that part. I want the boys to have boys work. You know? Well, let's hear from a boy. Will, you want to weigh in on this conversation? <laughs> Theon, I'll tell you what, I, I would love to take to, to, uh, to wash those dishes. As, as a matter of fact, I, Around my house, I, I wash the dishes and take the trash out a lot of times. That's work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this 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 is some rich conversation. I was thinking about you know you're talking about this whole notion of a different path. One of the things I try to share with people is is that that old adage, you know, walk in my shoes, walk in my footsteps. No, I I I share with people don't don't walk in my footsteps. Walk alongside of me. 
because when you walk alongside of me, then you 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 have the opportunity to see what my experiences are, to 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 really see from a first person's perspective who I am and what my experiences are, and that really is what inclusion is all about, right? And and even this this whole notion of diversity, inclusion, and equity, it's all about. When I think about diversity, I'm thinking about the intersectionality of who I am as an individual. And so right now, you see me as an African-American male, uh, African-American male who, who wears glasses, one who has on a, a, a hat that recognizes a particular college. Uh, but those are things that you can actually see, but you cannot see the other aspects of my characteristics, of my being, of my identity. And it's that, that intersectionality that I bring to the table when I come into the workplace, when I come into a, a board uh, for a social profit. I love your word, social profit, uh, Dr. Theon. And so when, when I'm coming to that place, I'm bringing, or I should be able to bring my full authentic self to that space. And when I'm allowed to bring my full authentic self to that space, that's inclusion. Additionally, when we think about equity, equity says William should be able to come into the room with his hat on that recognizes his college, whereas Hugh comes in, into the room with his, his blazer on, but they both have value. And William should not have any, should not be seen as any more valuable or not, or not have less value than, than Hugh who has on a blazer, because equity says we're gonna give each person that which they need to be successful and that which they need to feel valued. And so I may not need a blazer to feel successful, or I may need my hat to feel successful, and you may not need a hat to feel successful. So equity is all about how do you ensure that each person in that space reaches can reach his or her or they full potential, and at the same time, you give them what they need, which may be different than what you would give someone else in order to reach that potential. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Because I want to look and hold it. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> hey, Russell, um, why don't you weigh in on the panelist side of this discussion, if you don't mind? Yeah, see, yeah, you, you do clean up pretty good there. I just have to, uh, I, I just have to say that out loud. I'm, I'm in my collar and relax today. But, uh, so equity is ownership. People have, a, a, have skin in the game. It's ownership. It's valuable ownership. You know, so that word equity is, is great. So when you're out here solving all of these big problems, everybody's got an ownership piece whether they're getting the services directly or they're sitting on the board, they're paying for the services. So you got to speak everybody's language. And the more people from the more backgrounds that you get, you're either serving them or they're helping to, to administer the services or they're paying for the services. More hands makes the work lighter. So as you bring more people to the table, you expand your reach, you expand your impact, you understand what people's needs are, what's important to them, you know? So if you're trying to serve people and you have no idea from a cultural perspective who they are, you're gonna miss the mark somewhere. 
So you have to understand who you're serving. You have to understand what motivates people to write a check or to donate some of their time or talent, time, talent, treasure, the, the, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, time, talent, and treasure. That's what you want. And so you've got to find out what's important to each one of those people. Or as uh, we got a local guy here that you may have heard of, it's a guy by the name of Jim Collins. And he talks about getting the right people on the bus. And the right people are the ones who have that passion. They have that drive. They want to be best at whatever it is. And they have that passion. And they're not afraid to look at the elephant in the room and have those tough conversations. Because until you can do that, you're not going to fix the problem. So, uh, but I love the term equity from, from the uh, standpoint of uh, having some value, which is a word a lot of people in social circles don't use, is value. Ownership. Everybody owns a piece of this. We're all in it together. When you have that, uh, you got more juice behind your movement. Um, Russell, is. Um, <clears throat> we have a process that um, we qualify people who are used to be consultants, now we're wayfinders. And Russell is one of those uh, in our Center Vision uh, uh, nonprofit foundation um, who we help people in ways that are different than the consultant model. So it's, it's, we partner with people to help find the way forward. And Russell's been a real gift to me over the several years. I've known you for what, five or six years, but you and I have well, been working we're together. approaching five, yeah. <laughs> December will be five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Um, I had the pleasure. Uh, you know, we 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 color the conversation by our words, and uh, totally unaware of that. And so, I'd like to explore a couple of topics with you. One of them is this elephant in the room. How do we make sure that we we um, unmask the elephant, so to speak? And then, how do we um, become sensitive to our language? When I was in college, uh, Martin Luther King came and spoke, and I was like 10 feet away from it. It made great impact on my mostly white student body. And he went down the language, and he said, it's okay. We, when we use the word black, it's negative. It, you could tell a white lie. You tell a black lie, it's bad. If you say blackmail, if you say blacklist, if you, you know, he went right down. You're the black sheep of your family. He went right down the language. And I went, oh, my, I'm busted. But there's other ways that we use language. I, I hear men on board speak to women in, in um, demeaning ways because they put a little honey or sweetie or something in there, which is totally inappropriate. Um, and then boomers speak to millennials in a way that's condescending, <clears throat> which is not helpful at all. So talk about inclusivity with language. How can we become more sensitive to how we use the language in in prompting fruitful discussions. Uh, who wants to go next? Uh, Theon, you're ready to talk on that one. Well, you know that uh, languaging is my thing. I love talking positive and, and being more positive. I think it's really about being aware, though, just like you had an awareness when you got to hear Dr. King. It's being aware of how powerful the words are that we speak. There's a little book, long time, old, old book, As a Man Thinketh. Oh, yeah. it's, it, it, so he is. So it's the things that we think, the things that we say, they're very powerful. I encourage people, 
have a nice day. But then I always say, if you want to, because it's about how we take it in. It's not about someone else making us have a good day. It's about. And in that same vein, uh, it, it is the same as how we speak. Our words are so powerful, so important in how we speak. We can actually make things happen with the power of our words. And we have to be very aware of that. Um, when you talk about the elephant in the room and, and looking at uh, the, the things like blacklisted or black male, I, I know I've been much aware of that. I used to always say Indian giver and started thinking about the negative context, context of that. So again, it's about being aware of what we're saying and being mindful of it. But unless people know, I believe we do better when we know better. So we have to have people know what those consequences are and what happens, and then we can actually do better. So I think it's really about awareness, awareness, making people be aware, aware that we need differences on boards, aware that we need all of these different things that are happening. So. Yes, that's what I believe the inclusion and diversity is about, is awareness. Well, even springing from As a Man Thinketh, that was written when it was male, a male-dominant language culture. And, but today, um, I'll, even on boards, I'll hear women say, oh, we're going, we need somebody to man the booth. And I'll come back and say, you mean staff the booth? And, the, and I get this blank look like they're totally unaware of, of they had put gender somewhere where it didn't need to be. So there's lots of, lots of forms about that. So, um, so Will, we're having some feedback, so you unmuted, go for it. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's very interesting. In, in higher, higher education, we're beginning to see this, this whole notion of language. And so, for example, Yale University, uh, they're phasing out the freshman class, and they're using first years uh, to, to move away from that gendered language. Instead of looking at upperclassmen, they're looking at more senior level or upper level students. Uh, also within this, this whole notion of language is especially tied around identity. And I'm not sure if you're seeing it more within, if you're seeing it within the social profit, not-for-profit world, but we're most certainly seeing it in the higher ed and also corporate space is with the uh, uh, transgender identity, you're beginning to see different pronouns to be used. So, so people are now, beginning to have gender neutral, uh, non-conforming people beginning to, to refer uh, to themselves, not in the binary gender, uh, he or she, now the preferred language for someone who is identified as a non-binary person is they. Uh, and so when we're looking at this whole notion of language, we're, 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 we're really disrupting the status quo. Uh, if you will. So one of the things that I share with people all the time is ask the question and, and, and don't assume, but ask the question. Ask me who I am. Ask me how I want to be uh, referred to. Often people will look at me and, and, and my name is, is William, but they will call me Billy or Bill. Well, they did not give me the opportunity to have ownership over my identity. They went ahead and made the assumption that because the standard status quo is to call someone William, Billy, or Bill, that I was a part of that standard status quo. So I always find myself uh, uh, 
correcting people when they refer to me as Bill or Billy and sharing with them that I prefer William because I would rather you ask me how I want to be responded to if you do not know. So I think around this whole notion of around language, I think one, we have to recognize that it is evolving and it continues to evolve. And then two, I think that we have to ask the question and not lean into our own assumptions. Oh, that's good. And you opened up a whole new topic of, of um, the, the, the personal life preference. And we, we do have a whole lots of prejudice around that. I'm gonna ask Russell about this topic, but I wanna come back and, and have a round about implicit and explicit prejudice, whether it's racism or gender or sexual lifestyle. Um, there's what we saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, just north of, of us was the, the white privilege, explicit racism. I believe that's bad. I believe much worse is implicit racism. So I want to uh, talk about that implicit gender bias, implicit age bias. So I want to explore that a little bit as, as part of the elephant in the room. Russell, you worked with a, an Indian tribe as a nonprofit. So that, that may have given you some different eyeballs to look at from inside a, a different culture in our own land here. What, uh, what does that have to do with the topic? Or is there some insights from that experience that you can shed light on this, this topic that, that Theon and Will have spoken to so eloquently? Well, you know, that's a unique environment and one that's unfortunately disappearing because that, uh, you know, there's so many, there were 660 different tribal communities recognized by the federal government at the time I was working there. Separate, distinct, unique cultures that you can't lump lump all of these folks into one category, although that's what we do. So I, I, it was an education for me to work and serve these folks and to be with them. I'm, I'm still in touch with, uh, with quite a few of them today. But people are people. And my experience has been that people have different backgrounds, they have different experiences, they're shaped by their experiences. And they don't usually have an idea of how other people function. So a lot of times people make assumptions based on what's passed down to them, based on an experience they might have with one individual. We make these assumptions. So I had to constantly, uh, I had to look in the mirror and, uh, you know, I grew up where everybody, you know, people were people that my experience wasn't such that you have to look out for the red guy or the white guy. My experience is that hey, there's good people and bad people and they come in all shades and sizes and shapes. And we, we have a certain level of prejudice born out of our experience and what, we, what we're taught until such time that we open our minds enough to, to say, okay, I'm just gonna learn as much as I can, ask questions. If I don't know, if, I, if I'm, I was very nervous about doing or saying the right thing. And it was almost comical to some of them because, like, hey, man, relax. You're among friends here. You're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> too many movies. Nobody gets scalped here. And, and yeah, we're in together. Uh, and, and it was beautiful. I loved working uh, with them 
for them and uh, it was like another family. And uh, the problems were, were similar but unique to other people. So uh, inclusiveness, when, you, when you're looking at people, it's getting our own assumptions out of the way and being have the guts to be vulnerable enough to say, I don't know, I don't understand, help me understand this better. I don't wanna say or do the wrong thing, but take that time to get to know people and ask questions and share stories. Learn that unique perspective because when you learn that unique perspective, you're in a better position to serve other people. You, you can't be as maximally effective if you don't understand the people that you're serving. So you have to be willing to do that. If you're not willing to do that, you're probably not one of Jim Collins' right people to be on the bus, on that particular bus, until you come to the place where you can do that. The right seat on the right bus. Uh, and I guess it's true of me and everybody in this call that um, I hope your sense of me is that I speak directly to things. And, and I don't like elephants in the room, and I just kind of throw it out there. As a matter of fact, two weeks ago, Russ, we were doing an interview with Cheryl Snap Connor, and I was talking about how you come up with these brilliant things, yeah, just about every podcast. And I said to her, I pale in comparison. I said, oh, literally. <laughs> so, you know, I celebrate that we're different, just like, just like we've talked about here. So let's um, put a spin on what you've heard, uh, Theon and, and Will. And, and Will, if you're willing, pardon, that's alliteration, if Will is willing <laughs> to, you're starting a nonprofit, you're considering starting a nonprofit. So it would be interesting to hear your thoughts about how you will approach this topic in the board that you're going to create. But let's, 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 let's go around with this, this um, elephant in the room and our, how do we address implicit sexism, implicit racism, in implicit uh, generation or gender bias or sexuality bias. How do we, how do we get the elephant out and have meaningful conversation? Do you, from your work, do you have some, some strategies or techniques that people can try? Yeah, absolutely. I think that again, and Russell said it for, for me, the first thing I have to do is look at internally, right? So I have to understand who I am and understand where I come from and understand my own isms. Uh, so, so when I walk into this space, when I walk into the world, I walk into the world with a set of already pre-described isms. And so now I have to challenge myself and challenge the assumptions that I walk into that space with. And so when I'm talking to a person, I've already, in 30 seconds of less, I've already sized you up. And so now, by me looking at you and already sizing you up, now I have to ask questions to be sure that I am not offensive, that I am not operating out of my assumptions. And so for me, the, the biggest tip, the, the biggest strategy that I could provide anyone is always do two things. One, understand yourself, understand who you are, understand that you have biases. No matter your race, your color, your gender, whatever the case may be, understand that you have a set of privileges that someone else may not have. And then as you're engaging with other people, have that at the forefront and ask questions. 
that's how we get to know people is we ask the questions. Uh, when we just rely on our assumptions, we get ourselves in trouble all the time. And so, so for me, it's really about asking questions. I remember uh, a student uh, that I had uh, in, in one of my classes. And by looking at the student, the student uh, seemed to, to have everything that she needed to have to be successful in the classroom. And it wasn't until I began speaking that she came up to me and she said, Dr. Lewis, uh, can you wear uh, this apparatus? And it, and it looked simple, the apparatus looked similar to kind of a lapel lavalier. Uh, and so I said, sure, I can put it on. And, and she said that this is, this is a, an amplifier for me because I am challenged with my hearing. And so looking at her, I didn't know that she had a challenge with their hearing. However, it wasn't until we had a conversation, it wasn't until for her to take the first step to come to me and to engage me uh, with that. But I could have went on about that class and, and, and spoke in a low voice or spoken even in my regular voice and she not hear me or not hear all the nuances of the conversation. And then she would have missed uh, parts of the class and I would have missed part of engaging with her. And so it really came down to a conversation for the two of us to get on the same page so that she could have what she needed and I could provide her what she needed in that space. I love stories, love stories, that's great. Uh, Thea, how about weighing in? Yeah, I love what Will mentioned in terms of all of us have biases. So it doesn't mean that we're racist. It doesn't mean that we uh, don't like people, but we all have biases. We see something, it's, it's like judging a book by its cover. As much as you say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, we do. We look at the cover and we say, oh, that looks like a good book. Mm -hmm. Then you have to open it up and see, what do people say about the book? What does the intro say? And then you can actually judge it. It's the same thing with people. We have our biases. We instantly judge some, somebody by looking at whether they have a hat on or a blazer. And then we have to have a conversation, be aware that we have these biases. Like he said, know yourself, know your biases, and then be able to say to those biases, okay, now let me be open so that I can hear who this person really is. Are they really as savvy as they look with a blazer on? Or are they more down to earth, you know? So we have to, to recognize that. And I think that's one of the most important things. Um, speaking of stories, which I love, I remember being at a private school with my daughter. And I continually had people coming to me asking me if I would be on the diversity committee. So finally, I agreed to go to a diversity committee meeting and I had a lot of people, predominantly Caucasian, looking at me for insights into diversity. And finally, I looked at them and I said, I don't know what you want from me. Everybody I know is like me. I'm not different. So it opened their eyes to realize that them saying that I'm different was pretty much offensive to me. I was sort of like, why am I different? My kid goes to the school. I have to pay this exorbitant tuition, just like all of you. I have to go with all the rules, sit in line to drop them off at a certain time. 
I get no different treatment. If I'm different, give me some extra treatment. Give me something different. So when they actually realized that, it, it became more of an open discussion where how can we include what we see as a difference? Because you're right. You're, we're, you're thinking that we're the different people and we're thinking you're the different person. Well, that means we're all different. We're, we're all unique. So we were able to have better conversations. We had dinners. We had a dinner called 12, uh, Dinner with 12 Wild Strangers because it, it brought the differences of culture, of class, uh, all these different differences, not just race, but there's so many things that we all are unique in. And when we talk about social profit boards, I think this is so important. It is very difficult to have a diverse social profit board especially when you talk about economics. Mm -hmm. A board has the fiduciary responsibility for an organization. So if you're talking about bringing in a community member who may be benefiting from what this board is doing, you are definitely going to have issues on inclusion. That community member may not understand the value of a $25,000 table at a dinner. Mm -hmm. They may be saying, well, how could you do that? You know how many people we could feed with $25,000? Wherein a person that's at a different economic level understands we need to raise that money to keep the organization going because we have salaries to pay for and we have this and that. So again, it's different perspectives and it's, it's very challenging to have inclusion when you start looking at those biases from those different experiences, from what we all uh, walk in in terms of a different path in life. So even walking, as Will mentioned, walking beside someone, that community member walking beside that uh, nonprofit board member that's that's normally the one giving all the money would be an interesting walk because both are seeing things from a different perspective. The community member may be seeing uh, uh, lots of money but they, they also will now get an opportunity to see the financial obligation that that board member has. There's a give and get commitment to be on that board. So including a community member would be challenging because would they be able to make a $5,000 give and get commitment? Maybe not. So we have to look at different ways to include people so that it does feel like there's equity involved. And so that it doesn't feel like there's a handout involved because you can't have that be the way you include it as well, where someone's saying, well, I'm going to give them the money so that they could be on the board. There, there has to be different ways that we communicate it. And again, the, the wording, all of the things we've talked about today, I think are important in figuring out how to make that inclusion work. And those issues don't relate to gender or race or other, other factors either, do they? No, they don't. Um, uh, say, say that again, Hugh. Those, those factors you talked about, I mean, we, we tend to even listen to it. I want to be prejudiced about it, but it really, it, it, it's not specific to gender or race or generation. Not at all. Uh, when you start talking about economics, now you're talking about something totally different. So not at all. It, it, it spans across your, your genders, your race, everything. You could have an all black board, uh, an all African-American or black board that, that would still, could still not have inclusion and diversity. 
Absolutely. because of experiences, because of skill sets, because of economics. Yeah. And, and it could be totally equal in terms of gender. You know, it could be half male, half female, and it still could not be inclusive of what we're talking about in terms of diversity. Diversity is huge. And I know um, both uh, Russell and William uh, know that and can talk more about how large a pot we're talking about when it comes to diversity. And, and I find a need to want to do another session. And um, so I'd like to invite y'all back to dig into some, some of these specifics. So we've just kind of given an overview for people to be able to think in new, new ways of diversity and inclusion and to give them a few tools. And um, <clears throat> uh, well, I'd like to do a role play uh, on your board and uh, some dialogue about how you're going to approach that. Um, Russell, did you want to weigh on the last topic? I'm, I'm watching the clock and we're coming down to the wrap up. Do you want to weigh, on that, weigh in on that last topic about the elephant before we go to the, the, the role play with Will? Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, you know, as far as elephant in the room, that's an expression I use, but I, you know, I, and it's really easy when you get in the habit of doing something to, to not uh, think about whether that might be offensive. But the, the term that Jim Collins used it for is, is, he calls it the brutal truth. And it's really confronting the facts, no matter how comfortable they make you. Uh, there's so many different factors that go into diversity, it's hard to cover them all. Most immediately, people think of race and gender. But what you need a diversity of is mindset. Ooh. How people approach it, their perspectives, how they look at things. And when we're in, diverse, in the business of solving social problems, you really... Uh, you have to, to have an open mind, an open ear. You have to make it safe for people to be vulnerable. It has to be safe for people to, to talk about what they don't know. You have to have a safe environment to talk about some of the things that are not so flattering. Uh, and you have to address these. You have to address, and those were the things I was calling elephants, but it's really addressing those issues and getting, uh, making sure you got the right people in the right seats on the bus so that you can move forward and serve everybody. And it's like any other relationship, relationship building, even with your family, it's tough sometimes, but it's all about people. And your most valuable asset is not just people, but the right people. And it's talking to these, it's talking to, one another. So unless you understand what people need at every level, everybody you come in contact with, you got to understand what it is they need and what it is that they value. And once you got that synergy and everybody's rowing in the same direction, you're going to, you're going to cover a lot more of the river a lot faster. Yeah. We tend to think in, in duple thinking, it's either good or bad or left or right or black or white. When really there's multiple dynamics to it and it's this whole thing of diversity and inclusion there's so many facets and i appreciate y'all helping me do an overview um and just i'll point out that i'm coming into a new era of privilege it's called old age when you drop something somebody picks it up for you <laughs> so i don't think that's all bad <laughs> you know i've earned it um so will let's do um uh, just being a smart mouth sorry will um 
Sure. Let's do a little role play. In in what we teach in Center Vision is is as we populate our cultures, there's there's a four step checklist. One is we're looking for competency. You know, somebody have a skill set that we need. Number two, defining a specific role or responsibility. They're on the board. They, they have this competency. This is what they're going to do. The third one is a culture fit in a in the sense that um, we have guiding principles. This is how we define the culture. Disney, everybody's a guest. They will explain, take you places. You know, it's their hospitality. Um, Southwest Airlines has a culture of hospitality. That's their business. They run an airline, but they're in the hospitality business. So how do people fit the culture? Are our values and principles in alignment? And then the fourth one is, what are, what's, what are the performance objectives? What will people accomplish? Your finance chair, what will you accomplish while you're on the board? So we, we like to look at those four dynamics as we're putting people into our, our, um, our, our board, our staff, our volunteer pool. But it doesn't take into account what we're talking about today. So come back, talk to us about how, it, and I didn't warn you about this, so sorry, but I bet you could speak off the cuff about this. And would like to either Russell or, or Theon, we're coming down to our last six minutes. So just we want to do a thumbnail sketch of how will you approach building your board for Cam's coffee creation? And Cam is your son. Cam is your son. He's got a brain injury. You're going to do more than sell coffee. You're going to offer programs and services for other children who are challenged. Absolutely. You're absolutely right, Hugh. When I think about how to populate this board, and this conversation has been a really rich conversation and uh, in, in helping with that thinking, but it, it really comes down to, first of all, um, we, we need to engage with people, one, who have the same vision and passion that, that we have. You know, so that comes down to that value proposition. Right. And so so what's in it for me? You know, so you you have the same value and we can, we can get the same people on there with the same value sets. That's really going to help us to, to move things forward. Secondly, as I, as I think about this, is there are certain skill sets that uh, Tasha and I have. And there are also certain skill sets that we do not have. And so really, it's all about surrounding yourself with people who sometimes are smarter than you are who have much more competencies in particular areas uh, than, than you do to help you accelerate uh, your growth. And so as I think about this board, I'm thinking about uh, people who have uh, expertise in coffee, if you will. Uh, how do we, we bring those folks onto the board to support uh, the work that we're doing? And then also we want to bring the, we our, the end goal is to, provide people with disabilities um, a job, and not, not just a job, but a meaningful job. And so a lot of times, my background is in social work, so a lot of times when we're out uh, in, in the field uh, working with particular clients, we wanna be able to understand what is it that they want? What, is, what are their desires? And so part of this, what I'm thinking now, part of the board, uh, forming the board is really having some conversations with the potential population that we'll be engaging with so that we can know specifically from their experiences what are the types of things that will be meaningful for them to engage with us as we look to creating not only selling coffee but also creating 
uh, meaningful in employment as well. So I, I'll just stop there, but those are some of the things that I'm thinking about as it relates to this conversation that we just had here. What, what our colleagues on this call may not know is that I'm a coffee snob. And what's so great about Cam's Coffee is it's, it's selected beans from private growers, fair trade, and it's fresh roasted. It's roasted within the time frame that it's got the peak of flavor. So I'm all in this. This, you know, when I heard all of this, I'm thinking, oh, I want to play with you guys. So um, there is this resonance around coffee and its health benefits and good tasting coffee. So you've done a stunning job of creating a high value proposition with the product. Now you're moving into how we're going to help others. So uh, Theon, Theon does board capacity building for major foundations, and she's done that for numbers of years. What what thoughts do you have for Will as he he shapes out this 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 stellar board he's going to have? Well, I I love coffee too. You've been seeing me sip as we go here, so um, I'm I'm excited about your coffee venture, and I have some other uh, information to share with you that I just heard about a, a new coffee grower in Georgia, actually, actually, that I want to share with you. But in terms of your board, I think you're on the right track, finding people with the same value proposition. Uh, one of the things that I also would encourage you to do is think about having um, a, a, a youth representative on your board that can bring more young people to, that, to, to be uh, recognized to, to actually recognize differently able people. Uh, young people getting involved is so important now. And they love these issues and they champion them and they can make such a difference. I would even consider having a youth social media person who would be able to get your message out so much quicker and clearer than, than I could actually, because they know how to do that. They know how to Snapchat the coffee and Snapchat your son and, get them all, get people engaged in it. So I would really look at that. Um, in terms of your board being diverse, I think you're on the right track with that as well. Getting people from different skill sets and always look for people that are smarter than you. They just help grow you. Uh, that's why I, that's why I talk to you. You know, that's why I talk to Russell. So um, <laughs> Pressure is on. Always find the people that are smarter than you because they can really help, help you along your path and they will walk with you. They're smart enough to know that they're not the ones who were supposed to be in front, but they walk with you or beside you or, or right behind you to kind of catch you. If you have a little misstep or something, help you, they, they, push you forward. So when you fall, you actually will fall forward. So you'll be okay. So the failing is inevitable, but if you fail forward, you're going, you're going in the right direction. And finally, I would say um, getting your board members. I like getting board members that understand their fiduciary responsibility, understanding that it's their job to keep this organization alive and profitable. So those are people who understand give and get. They give a certain amount of their own personal uh, finances. And that means to me, giving means you give not so much that it hurts, but you give so that if your spouse has a conversation with you and you say, I'm going to give this organization ABC, they go, what? When you have a meaningful gift, it's a conversation. If you're just giving, you know, and somebody says, yeah, that's okay. That's not really a meaningful gift. So your board should be able to give a meaningful gift. And their get is getting new friends, getting new organizations, foundations, getting involved. So your board members should understand 
that they have a give and get commitment. And nowadays, when you're going after funding for grants and things, they always ask, how active is your board? How much do they give? What's the percentage? So it's a big thing now with foundations and getting money. So it's not just you doing it. It's the foundation saying, if your organization's so good, what are your board members doing? So that's what I would encourage you to do. Get people who are really into the cause, that value proposition is important. Get young people involved and get people who understand their fiduciary responsibility. Here's a thought I heard one time. You go beyond giving where it hurts to giving it where it feels good. And I sort of heard that embedded in what you were saying. Um, all right, Russell, we're over time, but fortunately we're not on television. Um, I make it a habit of not being on television because then people could turn me off. Yeah, you, know, you know, I almost expected that age and mental condition thing to come <laughs> to right. my mind. I'm glad you didn't do that this time. When I'm the smartest guy in the room, I run like hell. Uh, that's, <laughs> if I have to learn anything else, that's the one thing I learned. But, you know, as, as a leader, you're setting the table for success. But, you know, so much depends on getting the right people there. And when you get the right people, you, you tell them what it is that you see and what you want, but find out what they want. And then the priority would probably be to get the right people before you finish shaping the vision. Because when they shape that vision with you, you understand what they're most passionate about. Then you've got your champions. And you can say, okay, hey, this is what, where we want to get to. It's yours. You run with that piece so that you're not doing everything and over-functioning. And it's all about building the culture, getting the right people on the bus. Let people shine where they want to shine because they want meaningful opportunities. And what they want out of it is going to be every bit as important as what you want out of it. And everybody's working together. And so that's the challenge. And when you got people coming from a lot, lot more different perspectives, you take more things into consideration. And, you know, there are going to be hiccups. Some things are going to go wrong. But when you create that environment where it's safe for people to talk about those challenges and you learn what works, what doesn't work, and, and fail forward, and always look at what you can do better. There's always improvement. And... Uh, those areas that you work on improving are the ones that you're really doing a good job. What if we did? You throw some what ifs in there. Making How can we make it better? And be the best at, at one thing and focus on the one thing. And it's kind of like Jim Collins' hedgehog. Uh, you know, you don't go to a plumber for a haircut unless you want a really crappy haircut. So, <laughs> so those are my thoughts. Yeah, you don't hire a British butler for your for your cook, um, sorry. Your <laughs> so Russell uh, and then Will and then Theon, give us a one sentence soundbite um, to leave with people. Uh, your wish, your tip, your thought on thinking about inclusivity and diversity. Go ahead, Russell. You you take it out. Oh, to sum it up in a sentence? Just give them a, get, what's a wish for people you're thinking about what they would do next or what's your wish for people as they begin to shape this, this philosophy of theirs for diversity and inclusion? What, what would you say to them? 
I would say keep an open ear and an open mind because you will learn things from the most unexpected places. Great. Will? You can change the atmosphere. Say thank you. Say I'm sorry. Ask how I can help. Ask before you consume. You assume. Be authentic. Have fun and make their day. Theon. All right, I like those. Um, I would say be aware of your biases and then proceed with an open heart and an open mind. You might just find something a little different about yourself and others. And I would say to people, if you want to change any culture, change yourself and people will respond to you. Leader is a person of influence above everything else. Thank you, Theon. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, William. It's been a rich experience today. Thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom with all of us. Always fun. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was good. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.